you'll take your Bibles, let's begin our study in Acts chapter 18 and talk about the great work that took place at Corinth. Last Sunday morning, we studied Acts 17 and we talked about how Paul preached the gospel to those people who were in Athens. He made about a 30-minute trip today, about 30 minutes, probably a lot longer for him today, then, to the city of Corinth. And when he arrives, there's more culture shock. Last week we talked about the city of Athens and how Paul had worked among people where there was a large Jewish segment. Well, now Paul comes to Corinth and just like he saw pagans and idols everywhere in Corinth or in Athens, now in Corinth he sees sinfulness, debauchery everywhere. But can conversions take place in a cesspool of sin? Can you have people who are responsive to the gospel message even in a very sinful city? Well, I'd like to ask you, what about the city of New Orleans? I don't know how many of you have been to New Orleans. Probably been about 30 years ago that I went to New Orleans. We walked down to Bourbon Street. I was embarrassed. We had two small boys with us. I told them when we left New Orleans, I said, better get a good lick. Your daddy will never bring you back here again. Very sinful city. But do you know there's some very thriving congregations there? Brother Mark Lance and his wife, Tina, who attended here for a while, is preaching in the New Orleans area. There's some great congregations there. Can conversions take place in a city that has a lot of sinful debauchery going on? How does the record of this chapter help the church fulfill its mission? You see, as I study the book of Acts, I'm looking at it. What did they do to become what God wanted them to be? And then how does that affect me today as I try to look at my neighbors and my friends, many who might be involved in some very gross, sinful behavior, and how do I reach them? Here's some examples how to reach difficult people in difficult places. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the cesspool city, and I think that's an accurate description of Corinth in Paul's day. Then we want to look at the conversions that took place and the conflict that followed that. You see, Paul's going to preach and then there's going to be conflict that arises from his preaching. And finally, the courage that he exhibits as he faces a city with these kinds of challenges. The geography of a city made it important. In fact, to appreciate Corinth, you have to appreciate where it's located It's located on the isthmus that connects the southern portion of Greece to the northern portion. It's almost like you have a landmass here and a landmass here, and they come together in this little small area where they are connected together. I think about the Florida Keys, how that they're connected by that bridge down there. But you have two harbors that are only four miles apart. On the western side, you have the Lekion Harbor. On the eastern side, you have the Sincrean Harbor. And between the two of them, there was, back in Paul's day, a five-foot-wide 
uh, I guess you'd say a stone track. In fact, if you would just look at the aisle between the two sets of pews here and imagine that being paved, that four miles, and what they would do, they would take sometimes ships, if they were small enough, pick them up and put them on logs and roll the ship all the way across. If they couldn't do that, then they would take the various lading that was on the ship and they would carry it across and put it on another ship. That was a great benefit to them because it's like the Panama Canal. Instead of having to sail all the way around the southern tip of South America, you could just be able to go, well, here you could go from the Aegean Sea to the Adriatic Sea. Give you some kind of idea. The arrow points to where the city of Corinth is. And on the right-hand side, you have the Aegean Sea. And on the left-hand side, you have the Adriatic Sea. And if you want to make that trip, going through this area was a much shorter route. In fact, you can see the pictures of where that doll cost is still available or still there today. In fact, if you go on the other side, you can see it goes all the way across and they would roll those ships and those, that cargo across there. However, there was a canal built during the days of Nero, or started during the days of Nero, and finished in 1893. And you can imagine what kind of feat of engineering that required to cut all the way down so that large ships could be able to pass through that area. But you see, you think more about this city the culture of it was very degenerate. That is, people were participating in a number of ungodly things. It was a center of entertainment and sports. In fact, in fact, tonight, in the United States, many people will willfully miss the assembly of the Lord's church so they can sit at home and watch these guys play football called the Super Bowl. You see, Corinth would have been the same kind of city because they had the Itmus games there every two years. They were done in honor of Poseidon, the god of the seas. It was a place where there were theaters and various places for the people to be entertained. It was also a religious city. The Egyptian goddess Isis, the female god of the sailors, was worshipped there. Most know it was the large temple on top of this mountain just above Corinth called Acrocorinth, which was a temple to the goddess Aphrodite, the god of love. And there were a thousand temple prostitutes who wandered the city of Corinth and they would ply their trade to try to raise funds for the goddess Aphrodite. Many of the sailors, many of those passing through there would partake of that fornication the city became so known throughout the world as an immoral city that if you call somebody a Corinthian, that meant that you were saying that they were involved in gross immorality. If you had a play and you say he's a Corinthian, he'd always play a drunk because it was a city noted for what it was. Listen to Paul as he describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor adulterers, idolaters nor adulterers, nor homosexuals nor sodomites, nor thieves nor covetous nor drunkards, 
nor revilers nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then verse 11, and such were some of you. You were the kind of people who participated in all these sins. And Paul says, that's the city that you live in. In fact, if you're in the ruins of the old city, you can still look up past the temple of Apollo and see Acrocorinth up there where that temple was located. But you see the city in which all this occurs now. We have to turn our focus and see the conversion that takes place of these Corinthians. Notice with me to begin with verses 2 and 3. And we're going to see when Paul arrives at Corinth that he first has to provide for his own needs. And so Luke records, And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them, so because he was the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. Imagine, here's Paul arriving in the city of Corinth. One thing we know, Paul is not interested in taking people's money. He's not here as like a televangelist to say, okay, give me money so I can buy me the greatest means of transportation. No, that's not it at all. Paul comes to Corinth because he's concerned about their souls, but he has to have food to eat. He has to have a place to stay. So what does he do? Paul has a trade. He knows how to make canvas used for making tents and even used for making sails for those ships. And so because of that, he finds two other Jews, a man and his wife, Priscilla and Aquila, and he works with them. There would be a great market for tent makers in the city of Corinth, and Paul is there to make that. His first work was to go to the synagogue, and let's look at verses 4 and 5. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Oh, you you get the picture here now. Paul now has sufficient funds to be able to take care of his own needs. The Sabbath day comes, in fact, every Sabbath day, He goes to that synagogue and to those Jews, he is teaching them the word of God. However, when Timothy and Silas arrived, they'd been in Macedonia. In fact, if you remember, Paul had left them when he went from Thessalonica to Berea and then makes his way down to Athens. Here, Timothy and Silas arrive and Paul is constrained by the Spirit to teach the people Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah that was promised from the Old Testament. This one I'm preaching to you. However, when he began to preach that Jesus was Christ, conflict arose. And then he's going to turn to the Gentiles. Let's look at verse 6 here. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. 
You see, like Paul did when he was in Antioch in Acts 13, he preaches the gospel to the Jews. He taught them that Jesus was the Christ, but they were willing to listen to those Old Testament passages until Paul began to apply them and say they refer to Jesus the Christ. Their response was to say, no, Paul, that's not true. Paul, we're going to blaspheme his name. You know, we have an obligation to carry the gospel to everybody. But when people say, no, I don't want it, we're free from them. The blood's off our hands. They have been told, and if they reject it, that's their choice, not ours. But just like Paul did in Antioch, now we're going to go to the Gentiles, which is real interesting. Because what that does is, as Paul Harvey would say, leads us to the rest of the story. It's not as if Paul just went in and preached, but you've got to see what else follows. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God. Whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now you want to think about this. The synagogue was a Jewish meeting house. It's where they gathered together for their worship and for their study. Right next door, there's a man by the name of Justice. I'm talking about front door to front doors right next door. Right next door to synagogue. And you know what else happens? Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord. Wow. You've not just got some of the members of that synagogue. You have got the head of it. I want you to imagine going preaching at a church and they'll let you preach the Bible. And then when you tell them that the Bible teaches that Jesus is the Christ, and everybody says, oh, we don't listen to that now. You go next door and then the preacher gets converted. Wow. You've got to imagine what kinds of trouble that's going to stir up. So Paul tells, is told by God not to be afraid. Keep on preaching. In fact, if you'll notice with me, verses 9 through 11, Then the Lord spoke to the law by Paul by midnight or in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Wow. I've got many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul, don't worry. There's nobody going to hurt you. There's nobody going to make it difficult for you to preach. Just keep on preaching. And he did for a year and a half. Now, what was it that converted to these people? Look with me at verse 8. In fact, you need to have this highlighted. I put stars in the margin of my printed Bibles. I always have a star by Acts 18, verse 8. 
Then Christmas, the ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all of his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. I want you to notice the three things that you read about these people here. The first was hearing. Got to open that ear. You've got to open that mind. You've got to be willing to listen. You remember Romans chapter 10 beginning with verse 14? How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Now listen carefully to verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you realize all that was involved in that? But then they had to believe. Many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed. You've had preaching that's taken place. That Jesus is the Christ. Look at all these prophecies he fulfills. Let's go to Psalms 22. Let's go to Psalms 110. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 53. Oh, we could spend a lot of time talking about those. But they believed. Do you remember just a few weeks ago we were studying about a man who had gone to Jerusalem to worship? He was the treasurer for Queen Candace down in Ethiopia. He's reading Isaiah 53 and Philip runs up to him and he says, Do you understand what you're reading? He said, How can I except someone guides me? Philip gets up into the chariot with him and when you get to verse 36... Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. If you believe, what do you believe? I believe, says verse 37. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what the Corinthians did. They heard the preaching, they listened to it, they were impressed by it, persuaded by it. And then they were baptized. That means that they were taken to the water, just like the eunuch was. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. See, that's not our doctrine. That's what the Lord taught. Mark 16, verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. The Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. They did exactly what they were taught to do. 
But you see, there's always going to be people who do not like God's plan. And when they don't like God's plan, they're going to seek to create trouble, which brings us to the third part of our lesson, and that is the courage to continue. One thing you've got to know about Paul by now as we've studied through the book of Acts is that Paul is going to face conflict in every city where he goes. What do you do when you meet conflict? Do you cower in fear? Do you stand back and say, well, they don't want to hear it, so I'm going to quit? No, no, no. You you keep on. Let's look at verses 12 through 18, and we'll see a dangerous conflict that arises. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing, or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason that I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Now listen carefully. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had taken, or he had his hair cut at Sincrea, for he had taken a vow. Oh, you just listen to the words of that section And you realize, how did Paul have the courage to continue? He's been drugged before the the Roman magistrate. Accusations have been leveled. He's going to persuade us to worship God contrary to the law. But you've got to remember, God said, I've got many people in this city. No one's going to hurt you. Keep preaching. Paul doesn't wince. He doesn't waver. He's going to give a defense of himself. These Jews, evidently led by Sosthenes, oh, you read, Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue? I thought Crispus was. Crispus became a Christian. Well, Sosthenes is now the new ruler of the synagogue. And he is wanting to get rid of Paul. And he saw the tables turn on himself. He was dragging Paul there to try to have the Roman officials to beat Paul. Guess who gets the beating? Sosthenes does. Sosthenes does. But I want you to notice this. You've already had the conversion of one ruler of the synagogue. And you got Sosthenes now who's been beaten before Gallio. But listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle by Jesus Christ through the will of God 
and Sosthenes, our brother. I tell you what just amazes me. Here is Paul who comes to Corinth, and you talk about being effective. He converted the first ruler of the synagogue, and he converted the second ruler of the synagogue. Don't tell me that you can't accomplish something great if you'll simply take the time to go to the places where troubles are. So that means that there's no place that we call and we say the people are not worth it. There's no place that we look and we say these people don't deserve to hear the message. See, Corinth was a special place. While it was a seat of sinful behavior, a flourishing congregation developed there. And you have the book of 1 Corinthians, which, by the way, was not the first letter, according to 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. You have Paul writing a letter there that was our 1 Corinthians. You have him writing a second letter there to the church at Corinth. You see the good that they were able to do the great work. Oh, was it a struggle at Corinth? Absolutely it was. Is it a struggle in McMinnville? Absolutely it is. Nobody ever said being a Christian was going to be easy. Nobody ever said preaching the gospel to a sinful world was going to be easy. But I want you to know that you can have an impact. Sinful people can choose to change their lives and serve God. I always think about Paul persecuted the church. And yet Paul became what he tried to persecute. He became a Christian. I think about Sosthenes. Sosthenes wanted to have Paul beaten. Guess what? The persecutor becomes what he persecuted the church. Some of the people that you deal with that perhaps have angry feelings towards the Lord's church, when you bring up baptism, when you bring up other things, look at them and say, you know what, Paul was converted and Sosthenes was converted and maybe, maybe you're willing to be converted one day. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And that means that everyone is lost. You, myself, all of us are lost, saved by the grace of God. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. You may be just like one of those Corinthians, listening and hearing the message and saying, you know what I need to do? I need to do just what they did. Hearing, believing, and we're baptized. We're going to sing this song, There's a Fountain Free. And if you need to obey the gospel, come forward this morning. The baptistry is ready behind me. There's garments available. It would be a great day to have a new brother, a new sister in Christ. If you're a Christian and you need the prayers of the congregation, let's pray together. Will you come as together we stand and sing?